What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, it is Coach Andrea and I once again for another Q&A. Andrea, fill us in. How has your last week gone? My last week has been good. So we were in Arizona for the group meetup, which was awesome. Every single time we've done that, it feels like it's gotten better and more productive. Um, and we've grown as a group, obviously, over that time. So um, that was really cool. It felt like that was a, a great meetup. Um, and we got to even meet some clients, which was amazing. We haven't done that before. So um, all in all, that went really well. And then so it was like 65 and sunny every day there walking around with just like a hoodie and <laughs> no coat. And then I come back here and it's an ice storm, which luckily it didn't happen until after <laughs> I got back or else I would have been stranded for quite a while, I think. Um, and the, the kids have been home from school every day because the roads are covered in ice. But I think it's going to get warm enough today to clear that out luckily. So, um, yeah, other than that training has been good. Um, I pulled like a muscle in my lower trap area, which mm-hmm. wasn't fun. Julie and I were actually talking about this over the weekend that she had just done that recently. It's like something that both of us just do every once in a while. I was doing an incline press. Okay. So I guess just like stabilizing, um, felt that pull. And then <laughs> this is how it always goes. Like the next couple of nights, it's like hard to sleep. It hurts to move. I can't turn my neck, <laughs> but then it just, it goes away after a couple weeks or a couple weeks, couple days. Um, so just riding that out, I was still able to train just like normal this morning. Cause it was mostly a lower body day. So, um, other than that, we've added more food. Um, I'm getting some labs done and some other testing done next month. So until mm-hmm. then, um, my coach just wants to keep pushing food up and see like how far we can get that before, um, we get labs done. And then hopefully labs show that everything is good. I had them done with six months ago and things had improved over three months before that. And so I imagine that things are going to be better now than they were then even. And so we can start thinking about dieting, which I know we talked about a little bit last week. Um, so it's exciting to start moving into some new phases. What about you? How's your week? Yeah, absolutely. First, I'm glad to hear that um, things are continuing to progress very well there. What's your food up to now? It is, uh, my protein is always um, 140. Fats <laughs> are always 55. And on training days, my carbs are 265. On rest days are 215. Okay. So you're in a pretty good place there then. I'm I'm stoked to hear that. Yeah. It's super cool to see like you guys actually being able to work your food up so much after it just being pretty damn low for so long, even in order for you to maintain. So that's cool to hear. And I'm excited for you to be able to like start training hard and pushing hard again. Um, but yeah, as far as my week goes, it was a great week. Again, as you mentioned, we had our team meetup. So everyone is out here in Scottsdale this last week. Um, it was really cool to just work through our plans for the future and kind of map that out and establish like goals for our company and even individual goals for everyone. Again, not just like in the next 90 days, but also in the next like year, three years, 10 years, and it's kind of getting clear on where everyone wants to go. I really enjoyed that. It was also so cool to get to meet up with some of our clients. We again, just get to work with the most amazing people. So shout out to Jen, Casey, and Renee alongside Renee's husband, who was also super cool, dude. Um, that that was that was very fun and then 
what got to go to medieval times, um, which was an interesting experience. Definitely. Um, the gym we trained at was one of the highlights for me, for sure. It's, I mean, it's always yeah. fun to, I think that the, the like kind of deep work that we do in those meetings, while it is very productive, I think it's also very draining for everyone and it's necessary. And that always like leaves me feeling like a unique combination of, I know we were talking about this even when I was taking you back to the airport, but like, it's just a unique conversa- combination of I'm very excited, but also I just like feel exhausted right now. I think that's, that's how I was feeling definitely for the next couple of days, but it's also just so helpful to be able to just very clearly see the vision and make sure that everybody's aligned there. Um, but it was just so fun to just be able to hang out and spend so much time with everyone. Um, first time I've been able to meet Natalie in person, um, and just training together is always fun. Hopefully by the next time, I don't know if by the next time we do this is realistic, but hopefully soon I have a bigger garage for when we are all training together at the very least, because that was a little crowded. Um, but no, man, it, it was a great week. And I was just so, uh, it just makes me like things like that just make me so thankful for our team. And also again, like our clients, like, it's just so cool to see just as a whole, just the incredible people that we're surrounded with. So Definitely left that feeling very appreciative. Um, outside of that, as far as my own training and nutrition, we are still in, of course, a chest specialist, chest and bicep specialization phase, which is going to be going on. That'll probably be, I would imagine, what at least the next four to five months I'll be in that. And I'm I'm happy with how that's going. Um, my food is pretty high right now. What I have. I'm I'm to the point now where it's like definitely I'm noticing my appetite just isn't there quite as much. I have to be a lot more intentional about um making sure that I'm getting all my meals in, especially because like eating when you're working and it's like, oh, I have to go eat again. This is kind of annoying. It's funny how different that is, like in a fat loss phase where it's like I'm eating the same number of meals. They're just larger now, of course. But like in the fat loss phase, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad it's time to eat. And now it's I am it's more, it can start to become more of an annoyance. So, um, on, yeah, I have, we just bumped my food up again. Oh man. Um, so I know my, what I think on training days, I am just a bit over 4,000 calories. Now I have one day a week where we have like a, a little bit more diet flexibility, and I have 5,000 calories. And then my rest days, I have two rest days that are right around 2,400 actually. So, um, big difference. I, I actually really enjoy it. Yeah. I really enjoy those, those lower calorie rest days, honestly, because it's, it's kind of a nice break where I can just be extremely productive. Like, um, with the way I split up my work week, where it's nice to have two work days where it's like, I'm really like, in that case, I'm not eating very much food at all. And it really like lends itself well to like my life and like how I want things to be structured. So I, I've really enjoyed that. But yeah, we just this last week, we bumped up. He added an extra 40 grams of carbs all my days where I'm training chest and biceps. So actually two of my training days are a little bit lower and then three of my training days are a little bit higher. Um, so yeah, that's, but I'm, I'm happy with how things are going. Like I've been getting great disruption, great tension, and I'm like all my chest movements are progressing nicely. Been getting very good. Like I would say like the best pumps I've gotten in years actually for both chest and biceps, um, just specifically like for ever since my shoulder issue, which was in like 2014, 2014, 15, 
Um, I feel like a lot of my presses have been a lot more delt dominant um, to kind of just compensate for that. But this is the first time, like back in the day when it was like, all I cared about was growing my chest and I would train with train it with like three day of week frequency, just like being able to practice those movements so frequently does really truly help so much with the mind muscle connection. And again, just like I can get such better tension now. So it's also been cool to just see that progress because like since then I haven't really specialized in anything, right. It's most things I've been, I've been training about two days per week. Now I've had like clients like, Hey, in a glute specialization phase, for example, like I posted about my client Kim on Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday, I think I shared her, like what we'd been doing in her phase, uh, her specialization phase. But personally, I haven't been in like a specialization phase like this for a long time. So it is also just like with the frequency of practicing my bicep movements, my chest movements as well, like not just the strength progressions, but also like, I can just tell, I can just connect to those tissues so much better. So yeah, I've been super happy with how things are going so far. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, your, your meals on your off days, do you eat just as many meals or is it the same number of meals and they're just much smaller? Yeah, it's the same number of meals. So I eat five meals um, every day, but they're just much smaller meals. Right. So we're like, yeah. my, like my post-training, my post-training meal is my biggest one, which is like seven ounces of chicken, a bowl of rice. And then alongside that, it's like cream of rice with a bunch of strawberries and some honey. And then we just added to that. So I have to figure out how to get 40 more grams of carbs in there still. Um, but yeah, and then I have highly, I have 70 grams of carbs from, is it 70 grams? Yeah. 70. I think actually, I think it's 60 grams of carbs from highly branched cyclic dextrin intro workout as well. So my, my carbs are very, very high. Also like how we're approaching this versus relative to previous building phases, my fat intake is a lot lower. I think my fat intake is still right around 50 grams most every day. So it's definitely like my protein is considerably higher. Um, I think my protein is right around 260 to 270. Um, and then my carbs are very, very high, which I mean, also kind of aligns with, uh, a lot of the research about again, like I, I, it has been interesting to see like for the amount we've ramped up my food. Um, I definitely haven't been increasing my weight nearly as quickly as I would have expected. Um, and I mean, some of that I think lends to just over time, like get less and less flexible, um, I definitely am a, like a lot less of a flexible dieter now than I have been even in previous building phases. But also again, like we do know when we're looking at, I don't think it's like something too many people need to be concerned with, but like, if you want to make the most like quote unquote optimal lean gains, um, we probably would want to take a little bit lower fat approach. I'm not saying like to avoid fat altogether or that fat makes you fat, but it is the going to be the easiest thing for your body to source fat. Right. So like the higher protein, higher carb approach for a lot of people, I think makes the most sense for a lean gains phase, but yeah. Um, do you very long way to answer your question, better pumps and disruption that you've been getting to the higher calories. Cause I know in previous times you've said that you didn't really like for your calories to get much above like 2,800, 3,000. And now it's quite a bit higher than that. So do you think that that's the reason you're yeah. noticing that better? Or do you think it's just that you're doing three times a week frequency? That's a good question. I don't think I'm actually eating that many more calories. Well, I mean, I know like when I worked with Steve, I was around 4,000 calories consistently. And a lot of that was just like the eating is a pain, but I was also like at the time, like a lot more, again, I was dieting a lot more flexibility, flexibly, 
or not dieting, but I was building a lot more flexibly. So there was a lot more room for error there. Um, I think part of it is just, I think my health is quite a bit better. Um, I've really struggled with sleep up until like the last year and a half. I've gotten in a very good rhythm with my sleep, but really I would say from like, man, like 2016 to like 2021, my sleep was pretty damn bad. Um, and I've gotten in such a good routine there. Um, I know like stress management is something I need to continue to work on, but I also feel like I've gotten a lot better in that, in that regard. And again, kind of just like handling, like as the company has grown, there've been a lot of things where like just my, my ability to manage difficult situations and like manage stress, I think has improved a lot. So like that combined with my sleep combined with the fact that we're very, very dialed in on making sure I'm consistently nailing all my micronutrient needs. I honestly think that's a big part of it. Does that all make sense? Yes. Yes, it does make sense. Yeah. Okay. Just having all okay. those Perfect. variables dialed in makes, makes, sorry, I think there's a lag here. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's all good. Um, so I think, I think those are kind of, those have been kind of the diff- biggest difference makers, but yeah, I'm, I'm super happy with how things are going. So let's go ahead from there and get into some questions. So first one I have that I'm going to kick over for you is mindset advice with which to approach a deficit, please. What you got for us? Mindset advice for a deficit. So I think that it's important to um, accept the the trade-offs that come along with the deficit, just with um, you're going to need to expect some hunger and you're going to need to expect for it to not be like the most social time of your life where you're enjoying all of the drinks and all of the food and all that. Um, so, so going into it with that expectation is helpful because with, I think, especially with like the flexible dieting talk over the last several years, it's really easy to get sucked into like, Hey, I can just still do everything the exact same. And somehow I'm going to make it fit my macros and still feel really good and, (laughs) and be able to, um, reach my goals. But if you were to change things up a bit in terms of the mindset around, what's worth it in a, in a deficit and still make sure that you're ticking all the boxes, like your micronutrients, um, and timing and things like that. You're just going to have a much easier time with it. I mean, this is something that you and I have talked about in our own diets over the last few years. Like that one shift has been so helpful in just the ease of the diet and the outcome. So, um, I think that is really important. Um, other things with mindset, um, I think that going into it, um, I had something else I was going to say and I lost it. <laughs> um, going into it, expecting um, for the lifestyle shift to be a bit different, but then also um, expecting to, to for it to take a little bit longer than you probably want it to. Uh, we're looking for usually about half a percent to 1% per week as far as loss, but that's not always how things pan out. And that's all not what is best for every person to be on the, on the top end of that, which is what everybody wants. Right. Um, so expecting that to probably get uh, drag on a little bit longer than you want it to, um, just because we always want 
fat loss to be like super quick. We want to see the scale like rapidly dropping and we want to like instantly be fitting into new clothes, but it just, it's not as long of a process as building, of course, but it always feels slower than we want it to. Um, but then along those same lines, on the flip side of that, having the mindset of like, get in, get it done, and then get back to maintenance is also helpful. So those seem like conflicting, um, but uh, it's it's aggressive patience, right? Like we want um, to, to be patient with um, the results to come as long as you're doing the things, but we need to get in and like actually do the things to get it over with and not drag it out for months and months and months because that's not healthy either. So um, those are the main three things that come to my mind. What do you think on that? Yeah, my thoughts are very similar. I would definitely say, I also think it depends on where you're coming from, right? So on one end, we have like, hey, maybe you have 50 plus pounds to lose to just get back to the place where you are healthy, right? A lot of times in a scenario like that, we have to look at, uh, because there's like this idea of like, does it or does it not have to be sustainable or it be something that like feels sustainable, right? On one end, I think like for that individual, a lot of times it is like, Hey, this is just a lifestyle shift, right. To where we might not have to like try to quote unquote diet you too aggressively. We might not even have to track things perfectly or anything of that nature. It's just, again, like focusing on eating plenty of protein, moving more, um, driving food, like rather than like taking foods away, kind of pushing things out by adding more whole foods, more veggies, things of that nature. Right. So for that individual, I think it's kind of a different scenario. Now for most clients that we work with where it is typically like, Hey, I'm already a pretty fit, pretty lean person trying to get leaner there. I do think similar to what you said, the best approach is for us to kind of just focus on get in and get out right. Where I think it's so easy to like, try to go into a deficit Uh, This, I would say one of the most common mistakes people make is like wanting to go into a deficit with, as you said, not, and like take the exact same approach to food that they had in the past, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm still going to have like all my meals out, same number of drinks per night, but like somehow I'm going to make this work where for lean people trying to get leaner, that's typically just not going to go very well. So again, what I would say is like, don't play macro Tetris. I would, for most people, try to establish a meal template that you follow most of the time, right? So again, it'd be this like one to two days of eating. And you kind of just, just rinse and repeat that across most of the week to where if we're just, again, taking the days as they come, eating the foods that kind of come across our path and plugging it into my fitness pal at the end of the day, that very rarely leads to productive fat loss, right? Um, and also be aware again, like as a lean person trying to get leaner, you probably are going to have to say no to more foods. You probably are going to have to be okay with like, feeling a little bit more quote unquote restricted. I know people hate that word, but that's just the reality of, again, like achieving a different result, right? For every, to accomplish one thing that we haven't gotten before, we always have to give up a little bit more in a different area, right? Now, again, like this is different. Wow. And you go just sneeze and scare the shit out of me. Um, This is a little bit different than like when we're back at maintenance, where we do have more flexibility, but I would really, again, like try to save the flexible dieting for when it's truly needed, like a couple times per week, that might be something like planning, planning and like, Hey, I'm going to have like a date night. And this is again, like what, this is like a very good estimate of what my meal is going to look like. This is like going into this. I know like about how many drinks I'm going to have right now. And kind of just accepting, like, no matter what, again, for, if you are a lean person trying to get leaner, no matter what, like the deficit is just going to kind of suck, right? It's not going to be that much fun. So there's, we can approach this, like accepting that, we can approach this in two different ways. One, we can just, okay, no matter what, like 
it's not going to be that much fun. I can just buckle down and get this done in a few months. But the mistake most people make is again, they try to continue like living their best life while dieting, um, try to continue to again, like, Hey, I was going out three nights per week before. And I had like five drinks every time I go out, I'm going to continue to do so. And like somehow try to white knuckle this and make it work. And it just very rarely works out like that. But then those people get stuck in diet purgatory, right? Where it's like, Hey, if we just, again, for a couple, a couple months, we're a little bit less flexible, buckle down a little bit more. We could get this done with, but because like, if we're not willing to do that, then it's often like, Hey, it's been six, eight months or more. And we're still just like stuck in this diet purgatory, always feeling like we're dieting, not really making any progress. So, um, I, again, think like for lean people getting leaner, just accepting, like I'm gonna have to buckle down for the most part, like try to follow a lot of structure where a lot of your meals are repeating day to day and keep your flexible dieting pretty limited, I think is going to be the best approach. Any other thoughts on that? No. That's it. Um, do you want me to get started on the next question? Yeah, I need to let a new out. Let me know what you got. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the next question we have is tips on how to encourage a significant other to embrace hypertrophy training. Oh man. Um, I honestly wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this is very much going to be like my personal opinion. I think the best thing you can do is lead by example. Um, I, this what a question. I don't know why this is a hard one for me to answer. I, I genuinely think that like, that's the person has to be ready. Right. And I think like the best thing you can do is just, again, like lead by example. So if they're saying hypertrophy training specifically, maybe it's like their significant other is like, they want more hypertrophy. They want to build more muscle, but their training just hasn't like been effective for this. And you can see they're kind of spinning, spinning their wheels again, especially with like the spouse dynamic. I think there are very few people like I've talked to so many women where it's like, um, my husband tries to hold me accountable and I just absolutely hate it. Right. Or like, I'm going to have my husband hold me accountable. Like, I think I'm just gonna have my husband hold me accountable instead of investing in coaching. And it's like, okay, yeah, we'll talk. Well, I'm <laughs> confident we'll talk a couple of months from now, but let me know how that goes. Um, I just like with that dynamic, I don't think that ever typically goes very well. If your significant other feels like you're like forcing something like that on them. Um, so again, I think it's just lead by example, right? All you can do is like, if you want them to get into hypertrophy training, you get super into hypertrophy training. And if they see your results and they're like, oh, wow, you were getting so much more jacked and here I'm spinning my wheels. Maybe I should try to do what you're doing. But past that, uh, this again, for me personally, I don't know. I, since I feel like this is more relationship advice, I don't feel as confident <laughs> in answering this question well, but this is just how I approach it personally. I, I, I don't, right. I just, I go train. We have a great garage gym. I program for Katie asked me to write her program. So I program for her, but I'm never like, Hey, have you been following your program or like <laughs> anything like that? And if she has a question for me, that's great. I know like when we first lived together, when we'd be training in the garage at the same time, to me, it was like, I would be like coaching her up. Right. Or like, Hey, Hey, your Romanian deadlift, like you should do this instead. And to me, it was like, Oh, this is fun. Like I love coaching. I'm coaching you. And she's like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I, I don't appreciate that. So I, um, personally, I think I can only speak personally here. I think just 
lead by example and ask to be their decision. You probably would have better insight into that than I though. I I don't think I do. I, I would say the exact same thing. It's way too intertwined with like, so, so our, our clients are strangers. Like we, we have never met them before and we begin coaching them. And so they're going to listen to our feedback and um, ask for the objective opinion. Like, what do you think I need to build here? Should it be hamstrings? Do I need to build my delts? Like they're going to ask for that and accept that because it's an, it's an outsider opinion. But when that comes from your significant other, it's like, what? So you don't think my hamstrings look good enough? Like it's just way too intertwined with body image and like what they perceive as, as what you're telling them. I just wouldn't even go there because even if they're asking for it, it's like, eh, it's too iffy on how it's going to be received. So yeah, like mm-hmm. if, if they come to you with questions, that's great. If they want you to, to work out with them, like maybe like every once in a while I'll say, Hey, do you want to come to the gym with me this morning? And if no, then fine. But I wouldn't push it at all. Be very careful there. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's that's a great point though. Like your significant other probably didn't start dating you or marry you because of your ability to give hypertrophy advice, right? I think it's very similar to like financial advice or anything like that, right? If you if your significant other, so I think it depends on the relationship, right? If your significant other does see like, hey, you are like you're so good with your finances, I want to learn how to better manage that. Can you like? help me understand how we do this. That's one thing. But uh, similarly, if you're just like, Hey, you should manage your finances like this again. It's like, typically, I think anything like that, where it's like, unless they started dating you because you're a financial guru, like they probably didn't. I think the dynamic is just so much different. I would again, just like, let them come to you. Do you have anything else to add there? No, I don't. Okay, cool. So, um, Next up, I'm going to kick this one off because I think this one is geared a little bit more specifically to me, but then I want to get your thoughts on it as well. I have, how do you match clients to your coaches? What is each coach's strength? This is a great question. So um, when it comes to fat loss and muscle growth, which are two of the primary things that most anyone, any woman we start coaching want. Everyone on our team does that extremely well, right? I don't think there's anyone on our team who's like, this person is the best at getting people shredded or this person is the best at hypertrophy training. And I think that a lot of people that have worked with coaches in the past kind of work have worked with teams that don't collaborate. So like they've worked with a coach and it kind of feels like they've just been like offloaded um, to a different coach and like it's okay, that coach coach is completely different than like, what I thought I was getting where very much everything, like anyone who hires a coach on our team, you're getting the whole team. Right. And I know you can speak to this as well, but very much first, like we all take the same approaches with the way we program, um, with the way we approach fat loss, we all use the same methods. And then we're constantly going back and forth, um, both in Slack and we have multiple calls a week devoted to, again, just checking in with, How's everybody doing reviewing all of the clients processes. And again, like constantly every single day we're working through things like, okay, so I'm starting with this client. Like, what do you guys think about like starting their intake here? Right. Or what do you guys think about like what I'm doing with their programming here or anytime a client issue or challenge comes up, like we're all collaborative. It's brought up in either the Slack or on our team calls and we're all working through like, how should we approach this? Right. Like even things like, Hey, how should I keep, like, I'm having trouble getting this concept to click with this client. Like, how should I communicate that? Right. So very much it's, 
again, it's very much like you're working with the entire team. So there's not like when it comes to fat loss or muscle growth, there's no one that has like a glaring strength or weakness that stands out from the others. I think because we all do things so similarly. So I largely base it on personality fit as much as anything else with like, who do I think this client is going to click the best with? Right. Um, so, and then alongside that, there are a couple of factors. So like for Andrea, so for you, um, you're very good. Like when we're looking at a kind of an area where I think everyone stands out from a functional health perspective, I definitely think you are the best on our team. So like, I know we've had a couple of clients come on board this last week who have Hashimoto's, right? So, Hey, I think that Andrea is going to be the one that can best manage your situation. And similarly, when we're getting into like the women's health side of things, you and Julie are both very good here. So again, like, Hey, maybe you are just recently coming off of birth control or something of that nature where we want to make sure again, you're in the best hands. I think you two are very good in that regard, but also I think you especially are very good at getting already relatively advanced clients kind of to that next level. And you also tend to work the best, I would say with uh, the phrase I use is workhorse. Um, there's like, which is, is very much like what you are, where you just push your head down and work like uh, Caroline Hood is someone who comes to mind here, where I think like yeah. right out of the gate, I sense like, <laughs> you guys almost just seem like a kindred spirit. And a lot of our clients that come in, it's like right away, I can tell that's just like who you are. And I think you're going to pair very well with Andrea. Um, Natalie is someone who I think she does. I know we had a whole podcast about this, but I think she does the maintenance phase exceptionally well um, and is very good at just helping individuals who do like that's the most glaring need. Again, I think this is something that everyone on our team does well, but when it comes to um, like, Hey, really what we need is just some time to better understand your body, to spend some time in maintenance, potentially improve your relationship with food and things of that nature. I think Natalie does that exceptionally well. So like clients that I identify right out of the gate, like, Hey, I think a maintenance phase might be the best bet. It's still, that's going to be kind of a toss up. I think the personality fit would still be the dictator there because I think everyone does that well, but um, I have seen her do so well with, especially with like, Hey, this client might have kind of a weird relationship with food and things of that nature that we need to work on. She does seem to be so good in that area. And she's also just so good at just building incredible relationships with her clients and what everybody wants from a coach will vary quite a bit, but I think she, and I think everyone has great relationships with their clients, but she does so well at like building that sense of camaraderie and like she has all these like little inside jokes with all of her clients and things of that nature. Um, and then as far as Julie goes, I think she's very good at making things click for clients that are newer to all of this. So kind of creating like a more dramatic lifestyle shift. So for example, like, as I said, I think you're very good with clients who they're kind of living this life already. And it's how do I take it to the next level? Right. Where I think Julie is very good at okay, how do we get started like living this lifestyle in the first place? What things need to change and making that click for people without it seeming too overwhelming, right? So maybe they've trained in the past, but they're newer to hypertrophy training or like maybe they've dabbled in tracking a bit, but it hasn't necessarily been their cup of tea. She's very good at helping people apply that without it seeming overwhelming. And again, just kind of making it click and that lifestyle shift, which is a hard thing to do. And she's also very good um, as a mom of five and someone whose time is very limited, I've also found like for moms who just have so much on their plate, 
because again, because she's lived it so much. And I think you work very well with moms as well, because I know you can also relate to this, but she's also very good at just, okay, how do we actually make this applicable? Right. We're not going to approach this the same as if you were like a 20 year old who was single, but again, like what's a realistic lifestyle for you from like, Hey, what easy recipes, meal prep, things of that nature. Like how do we structure, you have like your kid's soccer tournament and all this stuff coming up. Like how do we make that work into the plan? I think she's very good at just teaching application there. Um, and then you and Julia are both very good with the postpartum side of things. Whereas, um, for both Natalie and myself, those are, I would always defer like something like that to either of you two, but yeah, that's how I go about it. Again, there aren't, because we've all learned, we're all in collaboration so much. We've all like taken the same courses and we're working through those things in nature or we're working through those things together. Uh, it's hard for me to pick out like any glaring, like this person does this thing so much better than anyone else. So a large part of it is honestly just the personality because it's not at all. Like it's an incredibly similar service. It's again, just the personality of the coach and how that clicks with the client as much as anything else. Do you have anything else to add there? I don't think I do. I think that you kind of nailed that, but it's also kind of funny how like those, those people are that you mentioned work best with each of us are kind of like how we naturally talk, like who we naturally talk to on social media as well. Like I'm like writing things out more like, um, like the longer explanation style posts, like tweet style posts, like you do. Um, Natalie has a lot more like in her stories and like personality type stuff. And then Julie's like talking to not necessarily talking more to, to newer people or, or moms or anything like that, but it, it seems to draw that type of um, clientele. So it's, that's cool that we've kind of like naturally gravitated toward that. Yeah. I feel like you'll, like, if you follow the team on social media, you'll get a pretty good idea for who you seem to resonate the most with. And that's definitely something I take into account as well. Like if someone requests like, Hey, I really like enjoy this coach the most. That's of course, like, unless it's like, Hey, there's, there's no room and we can either put you on a wait list. Or I also think like you could do very, very well with this person that said, like there's, there's no one on our roster that I would trust with anyone else on our team. Um, but I think that's all I have there. What do you have next? All right. Next one up is nutrition during menopause. Does it change? And then can I also add this other one in because this one is very similar. Can you talk about how women's metabolism changes with aging? You want to take this one? Oh, that's (laughs) another one. Actually, menopause is definitely something that I, similar to what I just said, I would refer to you or Julie as well. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being honest, I think Julie has a much better grasp on this um, than I do. I know that this is something that we're digging into in the next couple of weeks in terms of learning more. Um, But as far as the metabolism, so there was that study that made its rounds more recently where it's the metabolism doesn't change until like age 65. And even at that point, it changes very little. And I think that that mm-hmm. really like ruffled people's feathers some somewhat because it's like, well, this is my experience. And my, my experience is that whenever I was 20, I ate whatever I wanted. And now I restrict only to maintain like this little bit of overweight. And that's not invalid for sure. But what mostly is going on there is 
when you're 20, you might be eating like skipping breakfast because you're sleeping till 11, <laughs> eating something from like Taco Bell for lunch and then doing the same for dinner and maybe having like drinks or something. And so overall, your calories aren't that crazy, even though you're eating complete junk food. But then you're also moving so much. I know like in college, like walking everywhere from um, one part of campus to the other part of campus, like you're just constantly moving and doing things. And that adds up so much more than you would think it does. And then as life progresses, like you have kids and maybe they keep you a little bit active, but it's still way different um, than, than it was before. And um, maybe now your, your muscle mass is starting to dwindle a little bit if you're not keeping up with lifting weights or something like that. Um, maybe you were in sports before and now you're not. And like even the most active toddler is not going to make up for that spread in activity level. Um, and then go further along in the timeline. And now you have a desk job and um, maybe you travel or um, things like that where you're just sitting so much. And so now if you're eating the same amount of food, you're going to start gaining weight from that because your meta, uh, metabolic rate didn't change on its own, but maybe you have less muscle mass and you're just moving less. Um, and so that that's like the main metabolic change that you'll experience, but there's, there are also hormonal shifts and then especially like that, that, that come along with postpartum, but then also um, of course with menopause. And so um, what happens in menopause is like around the perimenopause or the, the premenopause timeline, you start to just get kind of crazy fluctuations with your hormones, your estrogen will spike and then fall. And then eventually in menopause, all of your sex hormones. So estrogen, um, uh, testosterone and, and progesterone are all three just kind of tanked. And so unless you are using hormone replacement therapy, then you just kind of live at this baseline of no hormones. And so you get the symptoms from that and symptoms of low progesterone are going to be things like not sleeping as well, um, more anxiety, um, with low estrogen, you have the, that bone loss and, um, and low testosterone, you have the lower libido and lower ability to gain muscle mass and things like that. And so those things accumulate and, and cause a shift in your metabolism as well. So with the, the dietary shifts, um, honestly, if somebody has been lifting for a long time, it doesn't change a whole lot. Um, we can maybe expect for things to move a little bit slower. Um, but if they've been lifting, we don't have to manipulate the macros quite as much as someone who hasn't been. Um, now someone who hasn't been lifting or they're not lifting currently and we're putting them through a fat loss phase, you might want to go a little bit lower carbohydrate just because the insulin sensitivity is typically impaired just a little bit. But even then it's, you know, you're, you're basing this on what their metabolic rate is anyway. So even like two, two 25 year old women, one of them it, having a higher, um, higher metabolic rate naturally, or just higher, uh, neat levels or higher output, that person is going to be dieting on more calories than the person with the lower output anyway. So it's kind of that, like we're, we're taking that into account regardless of age. And so if your metabolic rate is such that you need to diet on 1400 calories instead of 1800 calories, and we're already 
solving for that anyway, whenever we set your targets. So we're still looking for that similar rate of gain, maybe slightly on the slower side, just so that you can eat a little bit more. Um, and, and then from there, the basics are still the same for, for everyone. So we're looking for um, at least maybe like a half a percent per week in rate of loss, or we're looking for the measurements to decrease um, at least around the waist and uh, or the three uh, midsection measurements. Um, we're looking for similar things in terms of food quality and protein. Um, you might set protein a little bit higher for someone in menopause just to, because as you age your, um, um, muscle protein synthesis rates decrease. So you could bump that up, but then also you have the factor of, um, uh, osteoporosis. And so to prevent that, like just a little bit more protein can go a long way there too, but really that range of how much protein is ideal is so large that we're typically somewhere within the middle of it anyway. And so that's not really a huge difference either. So I guess summing all of this up, you might have to diet on slightly lower calories, but if you've been lifting and you're pretty fit already, then there's not a huge change outside of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a very good summary and you summed that up so much better than I could have. Um, so thank you for letting me pass that one on to you. Um, yeah, I think that it's, as you said, just understanding you're still very capable of making progress. Um, potentially again, like as testosterone levels drop, um, and also as estrogen and progesterone drop, like I think the ability to recover from stress is a little bit lower. So I know like incorporating like a lot of hit protocols and things of that nature, you probably want to be specific with where we're pushing your body extremely hard. And we probably want to keep that mostly to resistance training, but as a whole outside of that, like trying to do the best job possible, possible managing your stress. Um, then again, like there's just going to be a period of time, especially like in perimenopause where it's just going to feel like kind of crazy. You're basically riding roller coaster of hormones as things go up and down and up and down. Um, and then again, like, well, progress may be a little bit slower. The reality is it doesn't change like the basics that we focus on the fundamental principles that we focus on. Um, but it's also understanding, like, uh, I think in situations like that, like, again, like, unless you're on HRT again, like there will be some changes again, it's like, you're very capable of making progress, but even understanding, like, even if it's like, Hey, I'm going through like these massive hormonal fluctuations. Okay. We're going to have to probably accept that as a whole, um, even like due to those hormone shifts, the weight on the scale is probably going to be varying a lot more. We may feel, um, mentally, it may be a little bit more challenging. Your sleep might not be as good, right? So we're prioritizing stress management and recovery. And again, like a reasonable dose of resistance training, eating quality whole foods that really help you recover are going to be big factors there, but I don't think I have anything else to add. Yeah. Okay. The, the recovery was a good one. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. Absolutely. With, without testosterone, you're going to have a hard time recovering from a lot of volume. Okay. So do you want me to take the next one or you, you want to ask it? Um, yeah. What do you got? Okay. Next one is what do you do if your weight loss plateaus for three weeks straight with a 100% adherence? If you plateaued for three weeks straight and adherence is truly 100%, then you are going and your goal is to continue to lose. You're either going to have to increase movement or decrease calorie intake. Right. So, I mean, I would look at 
I think there's important variables here, right? Where not just looking at weight, but also looking at how is your body composition shifting, right? Because it's not abnormal to see. Um, I think of a few clients I've worked with where like, hey, scale just isn't moving, but either A, we're seeing like some impressive progress pictures, uh, changes in progress pictures, and we're, and B, we're all seeing some solid changes in measurements. And those those two things are typically happening side by side. Right. I mean, I should, I can think of a couple of clients on my roster right now where it's like, Hey, weight hasn't hardly moved at all over the last three or four weeks, but we're extremely happy with the way progress pictures are changing. We're extremely happy with the way measurements are changing because we also know like these clients are building a good bit of muscle and they're basically just recomping. Right. So we're not necessarily expecting them to see quick fat loss as of now, but if you're past the point where recomp, like a quick rate of recomp is realistic. Right. So if you've been training hard in the hypertrophy focus style, consistently for the last couple of years, you've been doing a relatively good job managing your nutrition as well. That's probably not going to be in the cards for you. So if that's the case and it's like, Hey, I'm three weeks in and I'm like, I'm just at a plateau. Things aren't moving. Then we again, just are going to either have to decide, Hey, do I want to increase my movement or do I want to pull calories down? Right. So typically I'm looking at for like, if we're seeing someone's fat loss, Hey, things are starting to slow. They're not stalled yet. They're just starting to slow and we want to make sure we keep things moving and we want to move things along a little bit quicker. That's typically when I'll decrease total calories by about 5%, right? So you can look at that as like, if you're eating the same intake per day, 5% per day, or you can look at it as like 5% total per week. So let's just say hypothetically you're eating, oh man, let's say you're eating 7,000 calories across the course of the week. You could decrease that by 5% total. Um, Don't know what that actually comes out to, but you can do the math there. Now, if it's a hard salt, then I'm typically going to do something closer to like 7.5 to 10% decrease in total calories. And then within that, um, never pulling from protein, unless we're in a situation where like, Hey, protein is pretty high. We're well above one gram per pound of body weight. Hunger isn't an issue. Then we can pull back from protein a bit, but even then like how protein has the highest thermic effect, it's very unlikely that it's going to be stored as fat. So it's very rare that I pull back from protein. Um, typically I'm going to look to you and I know we, we typically want to keep carbs as high as we can as well, because those are really going to be very beneficial for both your training performance and your recovery. So within that, I'm typically going to be pulling from fats until we get close to about 0.3 grams per pound of body weight. And then once we're at that threshold and I don't, unless we're like in a situation where we want to get, ex, where we just have to get ex, extremely aggressive, like for a photo shoot, I'm typically trying to not drop fats too far below like 0.25 to 0.3 grams per pound of body weight. But then from there we pull from carbs. Now the other situation, the other exception there is like, if it's a more lifestyle focused client, who isn't necessarily focused. It's just like, Hey, I just want this to be something I can realistically stick to. I don't care as much about optimizing everything. I just want to like lose the body fat and I'm okay. If I'm giving up like a little bit of my training performance, it's just easier for me to adhere to if like, Hey, maybe we pull more from carbs and then we keep my fat intake higher. So I have a little bit more dietary flexibility, or maybe we pull evenly. Then of course, like that's something I would take into consideration as well. Um, but yeah, that's, And then on the flip side, we could look at, okay, to get things moving from there, if we don't want to decrease calories at all, typically if it was like to go purely from cardio, I'm almost always going to use like a low intensity steady state uh, modality of cardio, just because again, like when we're in a fat loss phase, recovery resources are so much lower. Whereas something like incline walking, it'll burn calories, but it can also be restorative, right? That can actually kind of help us get into a more rest and digest state. Whereas like if we're doing assault bike intervals or like hit work, 
well, yes, that will be more efficient from a time perspective. And like, we also have to consider that, like what's going to be more efficient. Like what's the most important thing here is what's most going to be realistically doable for the client. But first, most people like when they're in a deficit, just okay. I'd rather it take 20 minutes instead of 10. And I just don't have to crush myself with like a hit work, a hit workout. Um, so typically within that, um, I'm going to lean towards lower intensity steady state. We also don't want, again, like our recovery resources are already limited. So those like adding more hit work, like more, or even like more moderate intensity work, that will be another drain on your recovery resources. Right. So thus that's going to mean like we have like our ability to build and or maintain muscle. We're bringing in this competing demand for those very limited, because that's going to require those recovery resources, the calories, sleep, um, as a whole, like the, the amount of stress you can recover from. And then if we're adding in like lists or excuse me, like moderate intensity or hit cardio, that's also going to start tapping into those recovery resources. Right. So that could like start to hurt our training performance. That could hurt our ability to recover further. So again, like in theory, that could make it a little bit harder for us to maintain or ideally build tissue as we're getting leaner. So again, I'm typically going to lean towards list there. And again, if we're hitting like a hard stall, for most people, realistically, it would probably take something like mm, two to three sessions of about 20 to 30 minutes of incline walking to get things moving. Um, and I think you could go in either of those directions as far as decreasing calories, adding some walking or like adding a little bit of cardio, or you could do both. What thoughts do you have there? Yeah, I think you pretty much covered all of that there. I would just reiterate like, hey, make sure you're looking at your measurements are you actually stalled or are you seeing an increase in measurements? Um, are you actually checking off all the boxes, like nailing your diet, your, your steps, your, um, uh, sleep and all of that, or is there room for improvement on that? But, but again, like pulling calories or adding cardio or a combination of both is really what you would do there. Yeah. That's a good point though. I'd make sure before you do this, are you tracking your steps and are you consistently hitting a step goal? This is something that a lot of people overlook, but the reality is again, like as we get leaner, our body doesn't necessarily want us to lose fat. Our body especially doesn't, most people's bodies don't want them to get to the point where they like have six pack abs. Right. And so as we push to get leaner, our body's going to push back by reducing the amount of pacing, fidgeting, blinking. So if you were just like tracking your steps, if you were just tracking your steps, you were hitting a consistent step goal, you would see over the course of the diet, like the amount of movements that you do on a day to day, the amount of steps you take would gradually be decreasing down and down and down as we get leaner and leaner and leaner, right? So that that in itself could cause a stall. So it also like look at, okay, how many steps can I do realistically per day and make sure like you're tracking that and hitting a consistent target. That is something that a lot of people overlook that does make a big difference as well. And can often be like the thing that's causing a scenario like this. Yeah. Cool. Um, Do you have time for one more? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, let's, we have a couple more after this, but let's wrap it up here. And to everyone else that asks questions, we will get back to these on the next episode as well. Um, but last one for this episode is going to be, I'm working with a client who was an endurance athlete for years, but is fairly new to lifting. She just signed up for a 285 mile dirt and gravel bike ride and needs two lifts a week to supplement her cardio recommendations for specific exercises slash muscle group training. Okay. So on a, on a bike, um, the, the muscles that are going to take the biggest load are going to be your quads and your glutes. 
So you might have to just, and, and those are large muscles. So your, your overall volume that you can use is going to have to come down a little bit just so that she can recover from everything. Um, did, did she say that she needs two lifting sessions to supplement the three yeah. rides? Okay. Yeah. Two. Um, so what, what I would do in that situation, unless there's something that she like wants to specifically work on is, um, number one, do an upper and well, no. So you could get away with either one, an upper, a lower, or, um, two full body sessions. But what I would do regardless is focus the lower body sessions on posterior work. Um, so lots of hamstring work because that's going to prevent, um, Im imbalance, but it's also like the main, <laughs> the main thing that you have left there to, to train, that's not going to be already taking a beating. And then it's also going to help somewhat with like knee pain and things like that from the same repetitive movement over and over. Um, then from there, um, you can work the upper body fairly evenly and you the upper body is not as taxing. So, um, you can use more volume there and still recover really well from it. Um, so the main thing is just managing volume across the week and you might just, um, start low and then titrate that up and see how she's recovering. And then you'll eventually get to the point where she's not going to be recovering well anymore. And, um, then you can just pull it back to where you were at the adjustment before that. So, um, I, I think that that's probably a better move versus starting out at like full volume, having her like really sore and, um, it, it being a big change all at once and then pulling back. Uh, I, I, I would rather see you start at low and work your way up with either sets or increase in the number of exercises. Um, along with that, it probably includes some glute need work. So maybe like, a a uh, rear foot elevated curtsy lunge where the front foot is like slightly turned in. That's one of the few, um, lengthen overload movements for glute med. Um, so I really like using that one when somebody is like really focusing on the details and not just needing an overall balance program. Um, and then things like, uh, glute med kickbacks and stuff like that as well, just because that's something that can get a little bit detrained with that repetitive pattern of just like in one line, pressing the foot down over and over again. You're not really using the glute mm -hmm. knee at all. Um, outside of that, um, I would focus on putting the, the sessions on days that it least interferes with the most taxing rides. So like if you have a long ride on a Saturday, don't put a heavy leg day on Friday space those out as well as you can, um, so that she's still able to recover from it. And then from there also just do your best to manage the, the diet side of things well, to make sure that she's fueling really well and recovering properly with that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. I would probably with her being newer to weightlifting, <clears throat> I would probably do twice a week full body with anyone that's like relatively new to that. Um, a lot of times those individuals just haven't fully unlocked their capacity to execute at a high level and push to an extremely high intensity, right. To generate like so much tension and I don't want to say muscle damage, but to just generate so much significant attention within a set that those individuals often benefit the most from just practicing movements more frequently. So typically they're like 
and just acquiring more of that skill, both from an execution perspective, but also just learning the skill of being able to push extremely hard, right? And then being able to practice those movements more frequently is going to be beneficial. So almost always for like a newer client, I will lean towards probably doing twice a week full body unless again, recovery became an issue. So I would probably start, as you said, I would probably, I would start with low volume, right? Where I would probably start about six sets total across the week for each. And I would look at it. I would look at this on a movement pattern basis versus like a muscle group by muscle group basis. But I would, I would start with like, Hey, we're going to do a squat or a lunge. We're going to do a hinge pattern. We're going to do an upper body push and an upper body pull. And those are going to be kind of the meat and potatoes of each training session. And then from there, we can add in things like, Hey, if they want a little additional glute work, or as you said, like maybe we're going to want to focus on that posterior, we could add in like a glute bridge. Um, but within those again, squat or lunge, a hinge, a push, a pull, I would basically like alternate with your pulls between a horizontal pull and a vertical pull. And then like with your presses, we would be like alternating between like a, a flat or a low incline press and a higher incline press or an overhead press. Um, so again, basically just pushing and pulling at different angles. And then with your squat or lunge, which I would again, consider those two interchangeable, I would probably do one bilateral pattern right? Where we're focusing a little bit more on strength development. And I would still here like stick to the hypertrophy ranges, but I'd probably be working something in like the six to 12 range. And then I would work in one unilateral pattern. So think something like a walking lunge, a rear foot elevated split squat that is going to be, um, able be there to like prevent any imbalances and just keep them quote unquote functional within their training as well. I don't, I don't, I don't think we need to think too deeply about that. Like this is going to be more functional than this, but from a stability perspective and things of that nature, I would probably still incorporate one unilateral, one unilateral movement there. And then I would be sure you kind of touched on this as well, but I would be sure to implement leg curls as an accessory movement as well. Um, really that is going to help the hamstrings as a whole are really going to help um, stabilize the knee. So I would want to make sure we're getting in plenty of hamstring work. Whereas like, if we're getting in a lot of like heavy Romanian deadlifts and the recovery capacity is already pretty limited, um, that could be an issue. So I probably like for sure, one of the accessory movements that will work in would be a leg curl. I like the suggestion of the glute knee work as well, but yeah, I think past that, I don't know if I would do much different outside of what you already lay out. Anything else to add there? No, I don't think so. Cool. Well, that is what we have for y'all for this week. Again, we got a decent bit more questions and we will absolutely get those answered this coming week as well. But as always, thank you guys for tuning in and we will catch everyone next week.